welcome to The Drop, our Umbrella Academy Season 3 companion episodes of The Drop at DFT. Today, I have the high honor and privilege by welcoming back a known quantity love of our lives, Andrea Aniceto Chavez. And we also today are welcoming Jeff King, executive producer of the Umbrella Academy. Ladies and gentlemen, you know and love him, founder and CEO of Digital Film Tree, Rami Katrib. Uh, we are taking advantage of the South by Southwest experience, and so this setting might look familiar to you. I know it's now June, but we are filming here because we're prepping for tomorrow's panel, so get a little bit of a throwback here, but welcome. Thank you guys for being here tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks, awesome Nancy. to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so tell me, we have just experienced collectively quite a season three. Tomorrow we're going to talk about season two yeah. and uh, the, the gripping nature of that cliffhanger where we left off is beyond us now. Now we know. Um, but I would love to hear from you guys so far as how you even broached season three. Part of why Rami is here with us tonight uh, is because he actually sat in in a lot of the previous sessions. If you don't remember, Andrea sat, shared with us what the fuck is Cinecode, and then also the Ted Lasso season of previs. And so now you get to hear all about it on the Umbrella Academy season. So how did this come together? You were on sessions. You were on sessions, you were always driving the sessions, and this was a big different year. You know, we saw the potential for this system in season two when we did our uh, Dealey Plaza previs for the episode where Diego uh, makes his, his heroic run across Dealey Plaza to try and save JFK and fulfill what he thinks is his destiny. So when we started season three, it was a no-brainer for us to jump right in and utilize it. But the, the big difference, obviously, is a pandemic happened. Tell me about that. Filming during COVID, yes, you had to quarantine Yes, a pandemic people. happened. And so we needed to take advantage of people's time while they were in quarantine, while they were in places where we couldn't be together as we had modeled in season two, where we were in person, wearing the VR goggles, standing in Dealey Plaza, examining camera angles, jumping around the environment using the Oculus system and using the, the rig that uh, Andrea had built. Wait, did you put on the goggles? I did, I did. And Tell I, me about that, Was did you like? Very immersive, it was a very immersive experience. Did you do God mode and kind of jump around? I did, you know, the power of that system is being able to go to places in uh, in space where you can't go if you're walking around scouting it in person. Because we had scouted in person. We had Everett and Steve Blackman and uh, Neville Kidd, our DP. We had all been and scouted it in person. We'd seen where we're going to shoot. We hadn't figured out how we were going to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's what the system allowed. And so when we got ready to start our season three work, we wanted to do the same thing, but we couldn't do the in-person. Mm -hmm. We couldn't wear the <laughs> goggles in the same way that we had all been in the same place. So we started to set up remote sessions over everybody's favorite uh, tool, Zoom. And we, <laughs> we would have uh, our environments set up live yeah. so that we could explore them. It was fantastic. That was new though, right? Like had Neville, new. <clears throat> had Neville been on a session before? 
I don't think any of us had no. been you, on a Steve, remote. Neville, no, not like that. Had Everett had, hadn't he? Everett had. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone has had exposure to previs and techviz, but not on a Zoom session. Yeah, not like that. Everett, that was new. Everett basically played every role for season two. So he was our director, cinematographer, and everything. Whenever he felt like, oh, um, I want to like try this. I want to put on the VR goggles. Mm -hmm. But then at some point, as you can imagine, with VR, it, it can be really exhausting. Mm -hmm. um, nobody wants to wear the goggles for like more than eight hours a day. Sure. And especially when there's so much previous to do. And there's so you can move so fast within that environment. So at some point, maybe after like 30 minutes to an hour of like Everett just playing around in the environment, um, he would just give us his notes and like he'll watch it from a monitor and direct us like, oh, this is what I want you to shoot or like add these security cameras. And that was another really amazing thing with what we were doing is that we could add all these cameras and spawn them all over the environment and just press record and all of them would record at the same time. Mm. So time is really being saved there. So would you say that it was necessity that brought you in on one of these sessions or what triggered the, the willingness to jump into this? Well, uh, the excitement of trying something new, obviously, because when we started in season two, none of us had done previs in that way. Mm -hmm. So it was exciting and groundbreaking and innovative. But it also, uh, uh, we were only going to have one chance to go to Dallas. And we needed to be very strategic about what to shoot. And when we started our, our grand plan for Dallas to shoot season two, had a lot of interior shooting being done. We we're going to do a lot of work on the street. Many other locations were going to be photographed. But as the realities of production uh, uh, started to press on our decision making, Things are very expensive to take a whole crew for two weeks from Canada where we shot the majority of the work to Dallas, almost impossible. Mm -hmm. We wound up having two days. We could afford two days in Dallas. That whole sequence. The whole sequence that you see was a combination of work filmed in Toronto wow. on location, filmed in Dallas in two epic days with our director Amanda Marsalis directing a unit Everett Burrell directing a second unit and a drone unit, mm -hmm. and then staying behind to do a plate unit after the rest of the company flew back to Toronto to continue filming the next day. Wow. So the, it, it was an epic uh, 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 mid-season move to go and shoot in a different location. Mm -hmm. So we needed to be very precise. We had previs by that point, the drone work, all the angles, uh, taking that metadata and transferring it over into the VFX environment so that we could uh, blow up buildings, people could fly, we would know where the president was driving. You, for you guys, I'm sure, it was, uh, f uh, must have been odd to watch us uh, have the conversations about what we were gonna shoot in Texas <coughs> in Dealey Plaza, what we were going to shoot in other places. Mm -hmm. um, there's a very funny scene where uh, Diego and Lila are sitting in a car surveilling Dealey Plaza and Five pops into the back seat. And we desperately wanted to shoot that in Dallas. Didn't have enough time, couldn't bring all the actors because they were needed in Toronto to keep mm -hmm. shooting. So we shot uh, uh, plates for the entire sequence and shot the car on a blue screen in Toronto. That's I, I don't know how much did, did how much did you guys know about our 
trials and tribulations as we were going through? Like, Have, where Everett, did Everett was pretty clear about the trials and tribulations? I remember a conversation saying, "You can't just rent Daily Plaza; it's <laughs> right. fucking expensive." So right. there was like, we only—I didn't know that it whittled down to two days, but I mm -hmm. remember how stressed out he was. Mm -hmm. As you guys, you, you, the way you said it is so kind. Like the realities of production. <laughs> We Definitely. felt the realities of production just do Everett's back and forth. I, we felt the pressure. Yeah. I think the original idea was to have much more time there. We, we were going to have a week of prep and then two weeks of shooting, roughly. <laughs> so, so, you can imagine, so you can imagine compressing that down to two days. Yeah. And, you know, we also, in, in hindsight, we never would have been able to control Dealey Plaza for two weeks. Yeah. We yeah. could barely control it. It's like part of the, the city. Day. Yeah, it's, it's the, the heart of the city, yeah. the traffic, the, you know, all, all of the things that went along with that. And um, so, again, going through and previsiting everything and making all those decisions yeah. beforehand informed every step of it. What it really did was it let us know what we could, what we had to shoot in dealing. And what we could, what we didn't have to shoot there, we then could easily apportion off to shoot in other places in, in Toronto or in Hamilton, which is a, a city about an hour west of Toronto that was a better stand-in for Dallas than a lot of Dallas was. Mm -hmm. Because it, it hadn't been modernized from the 50s and 60s, so the architecture was right. And oh, wow. we had, um, Everett and his team had already built a lot of the Dallas skyline for those locations in Toronto. So we mm -hmm. slowly got from our dream wish list mm -hmm. to the essentials. And that's what your system did. That's what DFT did for us. Well, we've heard that before, that previs allows you to know what you need to get. Mm -hmm. So then you can also get that and what you want to get. Right, so, exactly right. Thanks, Bill Lawrence. <laughs> um, well, that's kind of a, a perfect bridge here because you're talking about the uncontrolled environments and things of that nature, but if we go into season three, Rami, you mentioned TechViz earlier. The Academy is a known quantity. Like, you've been in that set already for two seasons, but that was a huge thing for this, you know, action sequence in the Sparrow Academy. and being able to move some of the pillars and tear apart the academy and figure out how you might shoot that. Mm -hmm. That was, that, I mean, it is an epic sequence. Tell me about that. Like, how did you guys come I, back to the academy then? I, I have to say, um, we learned so much on season three that was completely unknown to us coming out of season two. Um, Everett reached out and said, hey, can you, um, can you come by and compare some notes? So Andre and I, went to your uh, secret valley. Uh, is that the shot of you guys with, with, with AJ and Pogo? Yeah. 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 I didn't even know that place existed. So like for all you guys know, there's always like secret locations where TV shows actually do what they do. So we went there and then Everett showed us some pictures. Mm. And, and he, he articulated a plan, which ironically was to reduce the complexity and nuance that we achieved on season two. Mm -hmm. I was confused, I don't know how you felt, but he wanted to essentially spread this tool across all the episodes. Right. Uh, unlike season one where, the, you know, I think the Daily Plaza shot was obviously one of the most meaningful sequences of mm -hmm. season two. So he said, I wanna spread, spread it across different departments 
you know, and his, his thing was like, once people realize how effective this is, how utilitarian, then everyone's gonna wanna use it and wrangle <laughs> it, which by the way yes. ended up being the case. Yes. But he wanted to do more simple things, like um, positioning, lens, um, more simplistic, like literally regress Mm -hmm. the ability of the tool so that it spreads across more episodes. So that was the idea. That's how it started. And then season three happened, which I think completely changed how we perceived story visualization because that's how we met. Mm. You know, when you came on, for some reason you were happy. That's, <laughs> well, because it's unusual. Usually, like, adoption is by far our hardest Well, I was challenge. actually going to ask, how many people, how many different departments touched season three? Because it was cinematography, there were directors that jumped on, you and Steve. Um, editorial. Yeah, I mean, editorial. The, the, the it, uh, art department was involved because environments were being uh, drawn up and put into SketchUp. Mm -hmm. um, visual effects team was involved right. because they were lidaring the sets and providing that digital information mm -hmm. so that you could create the environments for us to then jump into. We had cast to model, uh, we had powers to model, and we had a whole new family of of uh, uh, Hargreaves as the Sparrow Academy who mm -hmm. had different powers than our original team. Um, we had uh, different cameras, we had some different lens systems, they had to be modeled. So for us it was a huge, a and we, we leaned into the opportunity to use TechViz as a real proof of concept for some of our most difficult camera moves yeah. when we really had to know in advance what we needed <coughs> to do. So typically we would have done storyboards, we would have rehearsed things physically as much mm -hmm. as we could reduce rehearse them. But what we did instead with you was sit down, put the camera mm -hmm. into the environment, pick a height, pick a lens, pick a, uh, uh, pick a crop, I mean, pretty much do all of those things, and then move the cameras around and basically block the actors like you would in a, ve in a very simple, uh, you know, set diagram or in a shot maker, mm -hmm. but now we're doing it in three dimensions That's right. with movement mm -hmm. and with, um, you know, the beautiful uh, creative back and forth. Um, you know, on, on, you would say, well, the camera can go up this high. And, right. And so typically you and I would be on with, with uh, the DP, mm -hmm. with Craig or with Neville. And, and so we would talk about lens height and we would talk about how big the set would be and where the camera could move, and if we were putting it on a crane arm, you know, would the arm fit under? And you and I were talking before about uh, uh, Craig's obsession with getting the, the <laughs> threading the camera through yeah. the pillars. I remember, um, well, Craig and Neville both have these very different styles, and they're both extremely unique. Um, Craig was very much focused on like the texture and the composition and having these extreme wide shots and being able to capture the whole action sequence as like a full thing and then going into and doing all the close-ups and everything at the end. Um, but I remember him pointing out like just stepping into the engine and having an idea whether we were using the LiDAR scan for the Academy or using the Obsidian hotel and like seeing like oh um like where's the like fish tank thing and like <laughs> there's different living rooms and like what are we calling these and then there's the billiards at the top um 
having the textures for all that was really important for Craig so that way he knew like, oh, this is gonna match. Like there's too many patterns on this and this is what needs to change. That was very new to me because most, most of the time we'll work with cinematographers who usually they just wanna get the shot done. They're not really thinking about like the other stuff and the lighting. And Craig gave us that opportunity to further enhance that in the engine. Mm -hmm. um, and for Neville, uh, we definitely got more technical with things. Um, like he was very much thinking about the equipment. Like you mentioned, we even had the movie bird crane within the actual environment. And like you said, we even placed the camera underneath it and we would just kind of, I guess, make a simulated version of it. And I do want to mention that another department that I don't think has been mentioned yet is editorial. Yeah. Um, editorial also got a hold of the footage and would string everything together so that way you guys know like, oh, what's priority, what might need to change. And I know we did even revisions after that. Yeah. Well, even prior mm -hmm. to that, shout out to Joe Suzuki, one of DFT's <laughs> own that we lovingly, lovingly sent off to Umbrella Academy land and is uh, assistant VFX editor on season three. He yep. is crushing. Joe Suzuki is crushing it. Um, yeah, I mean that's a that that's a perfect example of the of the end to end pipeline, uh, starting with the script. Obviously, that being the blueprint for uh, what we're going to shoot, and then uh, you know directing team and cinematographer Everett. We would do a tone meeting with Steve Blackman, the showrunner, to. Uh, deep dive into the nuances and what was really important, the priorities, uh, and then we'd do storyboards. So typically by the time we would sit down mm -hmm. to do a session, there would be storyboards often from Nimit Malavia, who's our lead storyboard artist in Toronto, Brilliant. fantastic illustrator, some of the best boards ever. And so often we would wind up with a uh, edited uh, output of a sequence that incorporated those storyboards. So one of the things that I think it, that let us do was skip over places where the tech viz, because it's such a powerful instrument, wouldn't have been helpful in teaching us anything about how to shoot the sequence. So if there's a dialogue scene or if there's a scene that doesn't require the deeper insight that the tech viz provides, we would cut the storyboards into the animation and then pick up again with the tech viz and then go back to the storyboards. And because we were all working together and we would do a couple of sets of revisions, we'd sit down, something would be processed, we'd meet again. It really became a perfect workflow for understanding, um, you know, we could teach ourselves about what the set needed and which walls need to came, come off. For example, you know, that, that was the beauty of it because um, unlike a stage with, uh, with um, you know, fixed walls and a fire lane and mm -hmm. all the other things, you could back the camera all the way, you know, you could oh, back yeah. it, put it, I mean, we had it over at, the studio so that we could right. play around with. Yeah, I remember we, well, when we got the LiDAR, normally it was just like all just one mesh and like we had to just start cutting everything out and we would actually have the camera all the way in at Hargreaves Den, I believe. Mm. Um, and just see like how far can we push it, where can we take this camera, um, and just understanding all of that was really fun, especially working with uh, Jeremy Webb. Once he got the hang of it, he was like, okay, I have like 10 different versions of this story, let's shoot all of them right now, yeah, and yeah. I was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was just so much fun, and at this point, I'm just hoping that we can definitely speed up the process as well, because 
there were also some challenges with what we were doing. Yeah. Do you remember <clears throat> I was on a session and you were driving uh -huh. and then someone, I don't remember who it was, says, oh, we haven't built that yet. Right. Yeah, it was never because it was we an don't, action. We don't have the SketchUp. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. The and then we got the SketchUp, and before it physically existed, mm -hmm. they whipped it mm -hmm. up. Yeah, that's what you can do. Um, I have to go back to Joe for one second. Um, Joe, editorial alchemist, VFX editor, just does so many different things. In season two, it was Joe uh. who originally edited whatever the hell we were doing at that time right. in early stages because there wasn't even editorial around yet. They weren't hired. Right, sure. Yeah, so we then were very early. Yeah. Andrea would be like, Joe, can you help me, please? Like, <laughs> yeah, I have just 200 like <laughs> exports. And I, I remember it was for the scene with the dojo. Uh, I believe you guys were shooting 500 frames per second on a phantom camera. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember um, everything with Umbrella Academy, especially for this uh, season three, it was super, super specific with like having the spit fly out to the wall and the <laughs> tentacle hits the spit and it's just like everywhere and all the slow-mo stuff and the matrix looking thing and the wood breaking and all that. And even having the storyboard references, which normally in most shows, it's like we're, we don't get that. Mm. Um, I felt that for this past season, we were very much powered by your production. That's um, great. I'm glad. And that. yeah, it was super helpful to have the scripts, even if it was just first draft. And having all the concept art, the sketchups, and really having as much resources as possible, um, that really helped us push everything forward. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> um, the you know for us, it, it's it seems like such a no brainer to give you everything. So the because our time is so precious when we sit down to right. actually do those sessions, yeah. right? To be able to like jump right in and get it going, and I certainly learned through the through the first couple of sessions that we did not to be where not to be too specific or too precious about a thing mm -hmm. um, and to allow the creativity that you were bringing to it to shape what was coming back to us so that it's you know it's not a it's not a one-to-one -one rote thing you become part of the creative process by interpreting what we do in those sessions and translate from the storyboards into the real world mm -hmm. environment and I think, I hope you're gonna be amazed when you see the finished scenes, how much we emulated what we finished in the, in the pre-vis and the tech business. Yeah, um, I'm very excited to see it. And I also, random just memory that I remember, um, someone either on the editorial end, I don't know if, I think it was Joe, they reached out seeing if they can get an optimized version of the Obsidian, because even the previous version that we had mm -hmm. would be used as a plate for the last episodes. Yep. So yeah, I, I mean, thought like, wow, we're still relevant. Even <laughs> that. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, well, and that was in there for a long time because you know the, the last 10 minutes of the finale are almost entirely virtual environments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So very hard to understand what everybody's reacting to and acting to and mm -hmm. being able to take what you guys had generated and put those into the backgrounds yeah. was extremely helpful. So you us. are, you're cutting with those in editorial. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Everett and his team are getting us, um, uh, you know, keyframes and animations and mm -hmm. stuff like that, but for us to see those wireframes in there and to see the shots in there at the beginning was extremely helpful. And that last little sequence, the, the kind of sneaky ending that we did, mm -hmm. 
uh, in January is already in there, and those that's that wow. was cut in. With oh, your that previous. sounds like so much fun. Yeah, the cohesiveness you guys have amongst each other across mm. departments, yeah, is what allowed us to even be able to play our role. Um, I think a lot of people, when they see a tool like this, it's hard to take on. <laughs> There's a lot going on, um, but I remember like the when Neville came on the first time, you know, he's, this is pandemic. He's calling from London. Hi, hi, hi. Who are you guys? You know, mm -hmm. just that cold start. Yeah. And then <clears throat> we try our best to explain it, which is harder than I think most people realize. And then instantly you see these little sparks. He's like, okay, okay, okay. And then, and then Craig. Mm -hmm. um, and then you. Well, and I then just like you guys were so tight, that you allowed it to happen, and I really think this is how stories can be constructed, but it wasn't the technology. I think for us, having a technology available, I mean, look at what, most of the reactions of the directors were like, Jeremy, he's like, yeah, I want to do, but I want to pre-tech this the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> because it's- That's what Everett said. It's we a, did, no. yeah, there were people fighting over I it. I know, I know, well, and, and that, you know, that happens, the truth is that happens in every department. Mm -hmm. Our department gets pressured. They don't have enough time to do everything that we need done. The, we, we needed a second storyboard artist. Raphael Albuquerque actually did the storyboards for the dojo. Mm -hmm. wow. And a third one, Irma Nevilio, came in and did. she did some boards for a couple of the sequences. So, yeah, everybody's resources get uh, pressured. And, you know, part of what we had to do as a production team was to learn how to be strategic about it. Yeah. That, that there are things that you can, of course you could tech fizz everything and, and you could output every moment and we could cut everything together. But the truth is you do, it's, it's much more powerful when you utilize it to do the things that are the most expensive for mm -hmm. us to do, yeah. Yeah. which is the integration of moving cameras, mm -hmm. like, like the opening sequence. I mean, the, this season, um, our, our first, uh, in, in our season premiere, the first 17 minutes are a continuous wow. piece of story. We've never done that before. Wow. And that, that was you know, partly enabled by the power of the tech viz and the previs that Jeremy did with you, and then understanding what was gonna happen. Mm -hmm. um, so everywhere that we could, we used it to figure out the toughest shots to make and the hardest things to yeah. understand. And, and that's the real value. And, and we got to see, this is what changed, like whatever we do with Cinecode um, really got defined, I think, because we got to see you guys interacting mm. as people, sure, hashing it out. That was it for me. <laughs> I was well, like, I've never seen that before. I've never seen like all the heads come together. And by the way, it wasn't like it was cantankerous, it was just complicated stuff. Yeah, it takes a lot of concentration, a lot of time. Yeah, this is kind of a good place for us, to, I think, to, to gradually come into the home stretch here, but what what is next with this kind of tool for all of us? Because I think, like you even said, you stretched, you grew, this was, a huge benefit to us. We're working on a show we can't necessarily talk about yet. You'll hear about it later. 
Um, but it's our first time getting to actually work with the stunt team. Mm, and sure. so they, I've been dying to work with them because they go out and they film a lot of these sequences with the stunt people and then coming into previs to animate what the humans can't do or whatever is happening on or off screen that, you know, the stunts then are able to recreate for live action needs. But all the things that they have to imagine, and then we're marrying those two worlds together. And honestly, Umbrella Season 3 could not have been a better template for us with all the ways in which we had to work with that kind of choreography. Sure. So, yep. but are you going to be able to put this down now? or? <laughs> no. I mean, we'll always want to use it for, you know, tech visiting, especially stunts in action powers you know we this year we're utilizing a lot of different powers a lot of new things um, but flying the camera through an environment putting it in places that it can't go mm -hmm. by hand I mean the I love the sophistication of a lot of the stunt previs that gets done now the stunt teams are amazing at it yeah. but at the end of the day you know they'll fly drones at each other but for the most part the cameras on the ground mm -hmm. so you know again sort of going back to what we learned about Dealey Plaza by being able to put the camera up where a drone is it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Is a tool. What do you think, Andrea? What's next? Yeah. Going faster, doing more. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, to and be I'm fair. Serious. I mean, we we had a meeting with Craig and Neville. Um, both of the after we finished the previs, we had asked them like, how much of this was actually shot, and they said ninety percent. The only things that weren't shot was because there was not enough time or yeah. there's not enough budget, and then mm -hmm. that just kind of, you gotta prioritize what you have to prioritize. Um, but just technically speaking, um, we are building tools that would speed up the way animation works, um, how we can customize with that, as well as uh, not only the animation for the characters, but the mm -hmm. camera, and perfecting the, that camera. So even on your production, we went from using the Alexis 65, and I don't, at this point there's so many Aries, I just get <laughs> so confused, but Let's just say the RE camera um, and getting a version that is more accurate than the one that we used. Like mm -hmm. we made sure that uh, with the one we were using for these past two seasons, it has the same lens package, um, the aspect ratio, the sensor size, all of that is there. Um, but at this point, we want to make sure that even the movement would mm -hmm. be accurate to how they're using it, depending yeah. on the lens being used. So, I mean, thanks, Rami. We just added two new developers <laughs> to yes. Team Cinecode. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge step forward for us. Uh, are we allowed to say what it's called? What we're working on? Yeah, I mean, we're working on StoryKit, which comes from what we hear. Like, mm. I would like this to be a little faster. So like, automate, automated or very expeditious animation as fast as you can think it, and restart, restart, restart. Great. Just take keyframing off the table and stuff like that. But what's next, ironically, is not based on technology. It's based on the community that we're a part of. Um, someone, uh, I think it was Everett, referred to another VFX supervisor, uh, David Van Dyke. And I can talk about it because the show just came out called Our Flag Means Death. Oh, sure. So, you know, we got permission to show what we did and they go, boy, is that fancy. So it was <laughs> both, both the DPs and yeah. David, right? They came in, they saw it and they're like, they literally said, wow. Yeah. which is what we're talking about. Then they said, we can't do that. Mm. We don't have time. They specifically said, how do we do that ourselves? Yes. <laughs> so yeah. that might no, be. No, no, no. 
not how it works. Well, actually, um, we never even thought of what they said. They said, can right. we just kind of storyboard? So to make a long story short, the same environments that we're talking about, which are very nuanced, very technical, very creative, essentially got abstracted. So oh. you got your characters, and they don't move, by the way. It's more posing. Sure. So think of it as, um, you know how you can do uh, uh, email on a desktop, mm -hmm. and on your phone you have most of the features, but not all the features? It's, it's like that. that. Okay. And then you can <clears throat> essentially line up your environments, which are spot on, just like the big game engine environments. Speaking of game engines, everything we've done on Umbrella Academy has been with Unity. We are agnostic, but they've been super supportive, so I have to call out them. Um, essentially, it was an abstraction. And they, once we gave them the characters and the environments, they were gone. We have no idea what the fuck they were doing. <laughs> well, so, but, so that's what was so cool about it is because they really... Um, was it Cynthia? Cynthia. Cynthia the was the one. And Mike. Yeah, but Cynthia specifically said it was easy enough once we created the unique assets. You know, you have to think, our flag means death is almost always on the ocean. Mm. And so they were using J screens and parts of the set, but Andrea had brought in actors and was able to pull pull them into is it character creator yeah so we actually upgraded the way the characters look so probably for the next umbrella academy they will actually look like the actors thousand um, times better a thousand I, was times gonna, better. I was gonna say because that was always a challenge yeah it was I, like who, I, I is was that diego say, or five like if you <laughs> asked me i would say that would have helped us done yeah. enormously it's and, done and the ability for you to um you know to you know, create tentacles or create mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the spit, yeah, yeah, whatever it was. Like, I'm sure that because that was all animation and it took a, mm -hmm. a, another creative step. So, yeah. very yeah. cool. Yeah. But so, long story short, they were able to lower poly counts for sure. Not everything could come in, mm -hmm. but they were able to literally set up the shots on the iPad, move people around, screen capture, print, and it was in Video Village after lunch. Wow. So things had changed. And so for their purposes, that was hugely helpful. And so all of that to say, lots, lots more coming up. And a huge thank you yeah. for allowing us to, oh to play and to build and <laughs> to grow. You. And so with that, ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap. And we will see you next time on The Drop. <laughs> <laughs>